In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Badgers uh, nearing the midway point of spring ball. They were on the field for practice number six on Thursday morning. Be back on there on Saturday morning, potentially, potentially outside, Jesse. Uh, I know that they were thinking about doing it on Thursday morning. It was about 25 degrees or or so when uh, we entered the McLean Center. So thankfully, they, they kept it inside. But Saturday, maybe a little outside. If it is sunny and above 50 degrees, I am absolutely here for it. It'll be nice to have a change of pace and see what the team looks like on the field in Camp Randall Stadium since we haven't had an opportunity to see that yet. Yeah, for sure. Um, They are going to have the launch, which is coming up two weeks from Saturday. They uh, are going to be hosting fans for the first time uh, to see the team for the first time. I'm told, and I think you know this as well, but letting everybody else know that it's going to be Essentially, just another practice. Tickets are free, but you do have to purchase them to get in. But yeah, it's just going to be another practice. But it's going to be at Camp Randall. It's going to be April twenty second, and I think a lot of people are uh, looking forward to just you know seeing all the changes that have happened to this team since the last time they saw them, which would be obviously in the bowl game against Oklahoma State. So, uh, but we got a chance to see them on Thursday morning. Uh, it was the uh, the second practice since the last time we had a chance to talk, and. You know, there wasn't I don't know if there was a, a ton there. You know, there was a little bit uh, to talk about on Tuesday as well. And we'll get to that. And then also going to talk about talking with the running backs. You had a chance to catch up with Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi and kind of their roles as uh, they uh, get set to take part in this new offense. So still another interesting few weeks here of spring ball. But let's st- let's start with Thursday morning. Your, your big takeaway and not that had nothing to do with the inability to snap the ball. <laughs> Well, that was my first takeaway, but I can skip that if you prefer, was it? and we can talk about something more positive. It, was it? I, I don't list them like it's the most important. It's just the first thing that I put on there. Uh, okay. All right. But I think I think it's the consistency of names we've been talking about, people who have flourished. And to me, it's it starts on offense because people are excited about it. Tanner Mordecai and Will Pauling. Those guys have consistently delivered, and Mordecai in particular. Let's face it, quarterback is the sexy position. He has now put together four consecutive really strong practices, and I think that means a lot, even if it's spring ball and even if there isn't a game for five more months. People have praised his leadership, the way he goes goes about his business. He's not a big rah-rah guy, but he is somebody that everybody listens to. But I also think you're not going to listen to a guy if he's not delivering on the field. And that's what he's been able to do. The first time we saw him in an 11-on-11 situation on Thursday, he completed all four of his passes to four different receivers. I think he's been steady. He gives players an opportunity to make plays even when defenders are in the area. And generally, he just does not put the ball in a bad position. So he is right up there with my standouts uh, early through spring practice. And that's exactly the guy that you'd want to see being your standout, given that it's a position of the utmost importance. It definitely is. And it's always, again, I'm probably going to reference this about a million times as we go through the rest of the spring. But after the first two practices, I was like, well, what the hell? (laughs) This is the guy that they got. This is what really? And he's just obviously taken off since then, uh, what he's been able to do. And, And you mentioned the four straight passes to, you know, to open up, the team portion of it. I, I, I only charted it through the first 10. I know we can't keep stats, but I only counted one 
incompletion and it was a drop. So there were quite a few really impressive throws. You know, I'm thinking the the one down the middle middle, middle to Will Pauling. Yes. Um, that was just a, a great throw and a great catch. And, you know, it was the type of play that you're expecting your quarterback in this offense to make. And he's got the ability to escape the pocket and do all that good stuff that Wisconsin hasn't necessarily had at quarterback uh, in a long time. But he's, he's also got the big arm. He's got it. And uh, he's got plenty of targets to throw to. As you mentioned, Will Pauling, another nice day for him. But and he's taken all the one reps. He's taken all he took. I should say he took all the one reps these last two practices in the slot. Uh, Skylar Bell is with the twos after he started the spring with the the ones. But I thought Skylar Bell was very active today, too, because Braden Locke was looking for him a ton. He was by far his favorite receiver today, and there was a lot of success there. But when you look at the top two quarterbacks, Tanner Mordecai and Braden Locke, do you feel good about where they're at right now? I don't just feel good. I feel great. Um, <laughs> if, if I'm a Badgers fan, like I, I don't want to be hyperbolic here so early in the spring, but I don't know that you could have asked for two better quarterbacks to come in here and help to lead this program. They've been so steady, so good. They've had a quick understanding of this offense. Um, and it, they, they've really been everything that you could ask for. If Tanner Mordecai wasn't here and Braden was your number one guy, I think based on what we've seen, I'd feel pretty darn good about that. Now, the big question would be the guy hasn't taken a snap at the college level and you feel a whole heck of a lot better at having Mordecai, who's been a two-year starter at SMU, who's been in college for four or five years now. But I think Locke's been exceptional and he had a few more pretty passes today. He threw a, a it was a jump ball really, but th so there was a, a free play because defense jumped off sides, but he threw it up there in a perfect place, about a 23 yard touchdown pass for Quincy Burroughs, another wide receiver. We haven't mentioned yet another Cincinnati transfer who outleaped a defensive back. But I think those guys have been really good. And when people are asked about Locke, the thing that comes to mind is his knowledge of the playbook. I think Grover Bordelotti, when I was talking to him earlier in the week, called him a, a genius in that sense. Mm -hmm. Anytime, anytime Grover has a question about anything, he goes to Locke. And obviously Grover is someone who's getting reps when he does get them. Um, Locke is in there quite often. It just feels like he's got the knowledge of a coach, to be quite honest. Um, and that is a big part, I think, of why he's the number two quarterback at this point and why we haven't seen as much of Nick Evers. But he and Mordecai both, I think, have been fabulous to date. Yeah, Nick Evers has not uh, has not gotten nearly the reps, obviously, and it's it's one two, and it's not. There's the, we talk about competition. There's no competition for the first or second job. No, I, I know. I, you know. You know what I mean? Like I know Luke Fickle talks about competition and all that good stuff, but it's it's there's not. It's really right now. It's for the number three job between Nick Evers and Miles Burkett and Marshall Howe, and I don't think any of us saw that coming into spring. But I thought a very good illustration of where things are at was Phil Longo's Wired Up segment that uh, UW put out on Wednesday night. And it just it, it's essentially just, you know, them having, having him mic'd up at a practice and going through it. And he him and Tanner Mordecai, and you kind of said this when we were watching practice today, it's his guy. It just kind of feels like it's his guy. Um, you know, they're joking around both ways. Like, it's not just one way where Phil is just, you know, talking a little trash to Tanner. It goes back the, back the other way. And uh, you could just feel that that there's a really good connection between those two. And and, and Braden, I'm sure, has his thing with 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 uh, Phil as well. The the thing that gives Braden a, a leg up here is having been under Mike Leach and having 
spending that one year last year at Mississippi State gives him a leg up in this competition too, right? I mean, the, the fact that he played in an offense that is very similar in in, uh, in terms of the passing uh, aspect of it gives him a huge leg up. And we saw in that video Phil Longo talking to Nick Evers and saying, essentially, you need to know what the running back is doing. You need to know what the tight end is doing. You need to know what everybody's doing. That's why we teach it this way. And I think that to me, that more than anything right now kind of shows where those three guys are. That was a, especially if you've seen practice and see how things are going, that was a great illustration of how things are playing out in practice so far. I wrote off my practice recap Tuesday that the number three quarterback role, and we'll see whether that is of importance at all. You never know with injuries, but it's really a bit of a mystery at this point. There was one instance during practice Tuesday where Braden made a pass over the middle. and It was an ill-advised pass into traffic and I think went to talk it over you got pulled and and yeah and and who did they put in they put in marshall howe a walk-on yeah. who had two fcs scholarship offers out of prep school in connecticut and i thought you know I don't want to read too much into one moment but when you start to string everything together and see the six practices it really does feel wide open for the number three job and to me that's a role that it's going to come down to just like with the first two what is your knowledge of the playbook and understanding of how to run this scheme um, and that's what makes it feel a little bit more wide open. So it's it's noteworthy in the sense that you don't normally talk about the number three quarterback job. But when you've got a guy like Nick Evers, who was a four star high school prospect and who really jump started this transfer portal hall that Wisconsin had in December and made you think, oh, is, is something new happening at Wisconsin? Is this really possible that they're going to get all these quality players that maybe Wisconsin wouldn't have in years past, at least at these positions? Um, when he's not the number three guy, it, it raises your eyebrow. But you make a great point, Zach. And I think that is exactly what it comes down to because as we've discussed it is not about arm talent he he may have the strongest arm there certainly in the conversation and it's certainly not about athleticism either it's about do you understand what you need to do on every play yep yep uh one of the i, I think you mentioned this but the the last play of mordecai's first series where he went four for four like you said it was the the pass to will pauling down the yep. middle between uh tj bowlers and Travion Blaylock, it's a throw that if you make, everyone's going to be talking about the next day. If you make that throw on a Saturday in a big game, it's the one that everyone's going to be talking about because it was right where it needed to be, right in the middle, just absolutely perfect. So that's the quarterbacks. I thought we got to see a little bit more of uh, Braylon Allen's role Thursday morning as well, and not just when he had the ball in his hands. We saw a little uh, lead blocking a couple different times. He led, he led block for – or he was the lead blocker for Ches Malusi on a run. He was a lead blocker on a, a design quarterback draw. Jason Maitre, when he did have the ball in his hands, got, he introduced himself to Jason Maitre with a little bit of a – when he tried to come up and, and stun him, it did not stun him, and he went flying backwards, uh, Maitre did. So it was a uh, – it was an interesting day for the running backs. We had a ch- You had a chance to talk with them um, and this week and kind of get their feel as to what this is. I know the last time – you know, had an extensive talk. It was before spring about the running backs. Now they've had, you know, when you talk to them, it had been five practices. How do they feel? How are they feeling in this offense and what's possible for them? Well, specifically what you're referencing with Braylon, uh, that's a huge aspect of what he's worked on here this offseason. And when we talked to him, he acknowledged that he wanted to improve his pass protection skills. And he said that because of how important that is for the position in the NFL, you got to be able to pass protect if you want to be an every down tailback. And there was a sequence where he said he was, he was the lead blocker uh, on a carry that Chez got. 
And he also picked up a blitz really well. And that gave Tanner Mordecai time to complete a pass over the middle to Quincy Burroughs. And Chez said um, earlier in the week that Braylon's done a great job of pass protection, in his opinion, when I asked what he felt Braylon had improved on the most. And he said he knows how to make sure his hands are right, how to move his feet. And he described him as probably the best pass protector in the running back room other than Jackson Aker, which I think is pretty high praise. Jackson, a run, a, a fullback last season, so has extensive experience blocking. But these are the types of things that you have to be able to do to take your game to the next level. We know what Braylon can do with the ball in his hands, um, which leads me to the next part of the equation. He's going to have the ball in his hands an awful lot. And I think the intrigue with this group in particular is, what can a healthy Braylon and Chez do? We really haven't had an opportunity to see that here the last two seasons. Chez started the 2021 season as the number one tailback. Braylon was just out of high school. and It took about five games before he got going. And then Chez had the torn ACL against Rutgers, missed the last four games of the season. Last year, he broke his wrist, missed four games in the middle of the season. These guys have talked about what they think is possible, and they would both love to be able to be 1,000-yard running backs in the same season. That's that's only happened twice at Wisconsin. The last time was 2013 with Melvin Gordon and James White. And then that 2010 season when you nearly had three running backs gain a thousand yards. I think Monte Ball missed it by four yards, but it was John Clay and, and James White. Um, and I don't think that's a pie in the sky idea here. Now, it remains to be seen what the carry count looks like and how they decide to divvy up the touches, especially for Chez, because I think it's pretty clear Braylon's the the number one guy, but you want to be able to have him make it through a season, which has been a struggle to this point because of the, the beating that he takes. But Chez talked about this at the media day in the, before the guaranteed rate bowl game that um, it wasn't all that long ago in 2020 when Phil Longo had a North Carolina team that had two running backs, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, gain a thousand yards. And they feel like they can replicate that for a number of different reasons. So I think there is a lot of excitement with this running back group. Obviously, the scheme is different. They have more space. They're not going to face eight-plus man boxes. And I think you're also going to see them utilized way more as pass catchers because that's another um, nugget when you're trying to compare those two guys at North Carolina. They combined to catch 50 passes that season. Um, and I think that's where you're going to see more of Chez and Braylon this year. Uh, we've seen that that last point you just made about catching the ball. We've seen a ton of it this spring, a ton of it. And not just obviously those two, but Katie Acamelli's gotten the ball in his hands a bunch on swing passes. And I imagine that is probably going to be a, a part of this offense where you're willing to check it down. And uh, we saw a lot of that the first two days, but um, I would expect it to also be something we see within uh, the game as well. The, the bigger aspect of this, and maybe this is clearly an opinion at this point, is can those two guys make it through a season without right. being dinged up? Because neither one has done it to this point. And I, and that's why I think the third running back is important. And I think watching spring ball, I, it, it, it makes it even more important in my mind, based on what I've seen from Braylon Allen and, and Chez. And just, it feels like every time Braylon like gets into a contact situation, there's a chance where he's going to get hurt. And he got, it dinged up again today. Uh, got dinged up again Thursday. Um, he was able to return, but it just feels like every time he goes down to the ground, it's just like you're holding your breath whether he's going to get up or not. So, I, to me, that third running back spot, while a lot of people may not think it's a huge deal, to me it is. And for right now, 
what we've seen, Kade Yacomelli is that third guy with Jackson Aker kind of being held out due to that shoulder injury. He was in a non-contact jersey on Thursday. We'll see if he can can return, but Kade Yacomelli's taken advantage of all those reps. Yeah, he really has. You, you look at him, and he is physically put together. And he talked on Wednesday about his journey here early on in his Wisconsin career. It's been really interesting and frustrating was the word that he used because when he went to his summer camp at Wisconsin, they evaluated him at three positions. They didn't know whether he was going to be a running back, a wide receiver, or a safety. And when he came in, they still didn't really know. But he ended up going in the defensive back room in the safety room with Jim Leonard. Uh, and it wasn't until later in the season when they put him at running back. And when you're a freshman and your head is spinning and you're trying to figure out the speed of the game, it's hard enough. And then you've got to figure out what position you're playing. So I think it's taken a little bit of time, but with these opportunities, I absolutely think he's made the most of it. He's got some versatility. He's got some decent speed, certainly up the middle. Um, and decent may not even be an appropriate word when you saw that he was among the top 10 regularly in the need for speed when they were doing running drills in the, the preseason workouts. But I think it's between him and Jackson Aker at this point. And if Aker's healthy, he is the one that gives them a lot in terms of being able to pass protect and do, I mean, he's been on the field. He was their top fullback last season, but I think those two will be very important. And when you look at the difference between Chez and Braylon, Chez's injuries to me are you, you can never plan for an injury, but like to tear your ACL or to break your wrist it is, is different from Braylon is such a bruising running back and he delivers hits but he's kind of worn down here the last few seasons. And that's not meant to knock Braylon. It's just, it is such a physical game. And, but late in the year, both seasons, his body has just needed a little bit of a rest. And so because of the way he plays, certainly it's, it's worth having this conversation, but I do wonder if being able to open up the offense and get him in space a little bit more will prevent some of those hits. That's something that Chess said specifically. He said, you know, I don't, I'm not looking for 30 carries a game or 20 carries a game. If I get 10 carries and, and maybe five to 10 catches, that's an opportunity for me to make a big impact and not have to take as many hits as I normally do. And so maybe they can do something similar with Braylon, but with the pace that this offense plays at, the more guys that you can have that are capable at all these positions, the better off Wisconsin is going to be. All right, let's uh, move on to the issue that we talked about at the start of the show. That is the snapping uh, because it has been been rough. And Luke Fickle was asked about it after practice on Thursday. Uh, right now, Wisconsin was out with is without their top center, Jake Renfro. He is out uh, likely for the rest of spring. He's got a, a boot on his foot, was um, hobbling around today, but likely out for the rest of spring. And so Tanner Bordellini and uh, Joe Huber have been the two centers. And it's not every snap. But it has been tough going at times for both guys. And Luke Fickle was asked about it after practice. And I think it's – I don't know what you do. Those guys are good players. Tanner is a really good player, really good center, and has shown the ability to play at a high level across a number of positions. Right now, though, it's just not consistent uh, snapping the ball, and it's really affecting, I think, the play of the quarterbacks at times. Yeah, all you can do is continue to work through it. I thought Luke had an interesting answer by not talking about 
I guess what ex- going form wrong. Wise. Yeah, like not talking about form wise what they need to do differently, but that what they're seeing defensively is creating some challenges too. That they've that they've got a, a nose lining up and a zero right over them, and and that can cause issues on the other hand. Doesn't that happen a lot in a game? I mean, aren't you going to see something like that? But I do think that the pace this offensive line is being asked to play at has to contribute to you get for worn sure. down. It's yep. really difficult. And and for people who are listening, they haven't had an opportunity to see this. And if you go to the launch, you you will see it to some extent. I, again, don't know exactly what the format is going to look like and how much they're willing to give you, um, but you will see it in the season. It's a challenge. Um, but there were multiple instances with both of those guys where there were struggles. Um, I think it it's interesting too, because neither of those guys came here. I don't think believing that they were going to be playing a bunch of center. Obviously the Jake Renfro injury has changed things. And school officials said that Jake Renfro and Chris Brooks jr. The wide receiver as well are going to be extremely limited for the remainder of the spring. So that's unfortunate for Renfro and really for the offensive line, but Bordellini at that time thought, okay, I'm going to play guard. He opened the spring as the starting left guard. Now to your point, He's got experience at center. He started in the bowl game for Joe Tittman. He played two games as a true freshman in 2020 at center, got thrown in there and was forced to start against Iowa. But this is a little bit different. Um, and it does alter the timing. There's one play specifically that comes to mind. I think Bordellini sent a pair of low snaps to Tanner Mordecai during a three-play stretch. And the last one led to poor timing and, and Tanner threw a ball behind tight end Jack Pugh that fell incomplete. So obviously you've got to be able to give your offense a chance. And I don't know that this is going to be some long-term issue. And I want to overblow something that's happening in the sixth practice of the spring, but it's something they clearly have to shore up. Um, And I should also mention that Joe Huber, he's only played tackle in his career at Cincinnati last year. He started all 13 games at right tackle for the Bearcats. And when he came to Wisconsin, the idea was that he was going to compete for a guard spot, but the offensive line coach, Jack McNell Jr. has said that, you need three at every spot to get yourself ready. And if it wasn't going to be Renfro, he wanted to look specifically at Bordellini and Huber at center. So those guys were going to get center reps in some capacity. I just don't know that it was going to be quite like this. Yes. This whole snapping situation reminds me of a, it might've been spring ball. It might've been fall with Paul Christ and uh, they were having snapping problems. And someone brought it up afterwards and it was like, do you think it's been, and he said something about, all right, Einstein, maybe you don't remember this. It was, it was just a real, real shot. I mean, it was, it was a funny shot because it wasn't at me. So, but it was, it was like, someone pointed it out and he goes, do you think it's, do you think it's been a bit of an issue? He goes, sure thing, Einstein or something like that. And it, I mean, you could tell that he was upset about it. It was bothering him. Um, but you didn't normally get those type of quips from him and I'm not doing it justice right now, but it, Whenever this type of stuff pops up, it reminds me of that. And I, I don't think we're in it's, it's it's spring, right? I don't think that's necessarily at the top of the list of concerns at this point. Um, they'll figure it out, they'll get it done, and you know, Jake Renfro will eventually get back. But as Jack McNell said, how many how many centers does he want? Right? Like he wants like four or five guys who can do it and uh snapping. You know, as as important as it is to get all the calls right and all the line calls right and make sure guys know where they're going, getting the ball to quarterback is the most important thing. And uh, it's just not being done consistently right now. Um, So, but, but it's early. It's early. So we'll see. Uh, Anything else that stood out for you on offense on uh, Thursday or Tuesday for that matter? 
you know, uh, Jack Pugh had a really nice day on oh, Tuesday. Yeah. Riley Nokowski on Thursday, a couple of wide open passes. Uh, Nokowski, the guy, one of the guys, or should say the guy that's going from fullback to tight end. He played a little bit of tight end uh, at various times in his career. I believe he's also played linebacker, so he's kind of got the uh, Derek Watt treatment. He's been all over the place. But uh, the tight ends, because of kind of what's being asked of them, have stood out. I thought, especially on Tuesday with some of the stuff that they're doing with Pew and lining him up in different places. Sometimes these practices can all blur together. So I had to consult my report from Tuesday and yes, that's yeah. right. That was my lead item. Um, yeah. I think we've seen a lot of pass catching opportunities specifically for Jack Eschenbach and Jack Pew. Um, and when Clay Cundiff is healthy and he's out right now, he's recovering from the left leg fracture. He suffered last season in week four against Ohio state. He will benefit from this too. But those guys have a lot of versatility in this offense, and you, you'll see the the number of ways in which they're lined up. There was a, I think it was a three or four play sequence where they had Jack Pugh lined up in three different ways. He was in the backfield, he was in the slot, he was lined up outside. And another thing that's worth mentioning from that mic'd up session with Phil Longo is when he is specifically talking to Jack Pugh and talking about just how impressed he was with Pew and that he thinks he can go far in this offense. And we haven't heard from him at this point because he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities But his athleticism, his basketball background, his route running ability, I think is going to make him a, a big playmaker for Wisconsin. So Eschenbach and Pew absolutely have been beneficiaries in this new offense. And I imagine Cundiff will be as well. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball um, because I thought that there were some uh, big plays from guys that maybe we haven't talked a ton about, so far this off season, or I should say this spring. And I think it has to lead with Mumajang Mehta uh, because he had a play today that had everybody going crazy, or at least the defense going crazy. Maybe some of the offensive players weren't overly happy with it, uh, but he sliced through on an inside, um, an inside drill and just absolutely dropped Braylon Allen. And when you do that to Braylon Allen, it, it is, it is different. And I don't even know if he should have been tackling him, but he put Braylon on his back. And you don't see that happen to Braylon very often. But Muma is in a very interesting spot in this defense. I know that he has designs on uh, trying to be an Ivan Pace type of player. Uh, we heard from Mike Trussell about that last week. Ivan Pace, the great, great player for Cincinnati this past year, an All-American now uh, looking to continue his career into the NFL. But Muma, you know, he's he's been through a lot in his time at Wisconsin, uh, but got a starting opportunity last year, took advantage of it. And uh, on Thursday, we saw him, some impressive things from him. If you look at what he did last year, it was really uh, exceptional. And maybe it got, I don't know that it got overlooked, but it was going to be awfully hard to fill the shoes of a Jack Sanborn or a Leo Chanel, both guys in the NFL now. But John Meta ended up leading the team with 95 tackles. He had 12 and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, and he earned third team all Big Ten honors from the league's media member. But if you've looked at the first couple of uh, weeks of practice, he's really positioning himself for an even bigger year in his second season as a starter. And I think what he's demonstrated is he's fast and physical. He's got a, an understanding of where he needs to be. And that play <laughs> against Braylon was a great illustration of it. But he also added a couple other pressures and would be tackles during 11 on 11 drills. So I think he's positioned for a really strong season. And you, you mentioned Ivan Pace. That's a path that John Meta would like to follow. And their body types are similar. Pace was listed at Cincinnati at six feet and 235 pounds. And Muma six feet, 240 pounds. Now Pace was a unanimous first team All-American last year. But Mike Trussell mentioned that if you 
put them next to each other. They're comparable in terms of body builds and they're both strong and explosive. But the key and what he wants to teach Muma is you can take pieces of Ivan Pace's game, but you need to be you. You've got to figure out what works for you. And that's a common theme across the board with all these positions is they want to play to the strengths of these players. But Muma certainly has flashed here early in spring practice. So the last time we had a chance to talk was last Saturday, and it came after a huge day for C.J. Williams, right? It came after they were just toasting the defensive backs. Um, I thought they, I thought on Tuesday and then on, on Thursday, there were some plays made by the defensive backs and, you know, Ricardo Hallman had a really good day Tuesday. I think they, they bounced back, you know, a Jason Maitre and Alex Smith and, you know, Travion Blaylock all, I thought really had solid days on Thursday. There was a, a three play situation in the red zone area, uh, Trayvon Blaylock fought Jack Eschbach for a ball in the end zone and won it. It uh, looked like it was going to be an amazing catch. It didn't. Um, then Chimray DK caught a pass uh, on a bit of a slant. Looked like he was trying to reach it over the ends, uh, over the goal line for the for a touchdown, and Alex Smith ripped it loose. I don't know if that was a catch or not. And then Jason Maitre had a breakup that probably could have been inter- an interception at the goal line, and he was really upset with himself. But it was three really solid plays in tight quarters, and uh, I thought they had a, again, I, I know what they're trying to do in the secondary, especially at cornerback with some of the guys that they may be trying to add some depth to that spot with, you know, Josh DeBerry, the potential transfer from, from Boston college. I, I know that they need, they think they need to add some depth there, but Thursday was a good day. I thought for the secondary, for the most part. I think if you, especially if you look at that top group in the secondary, yeah, they've got a chance to be really good. And uh, you mentioned Ricardo Hallman thought he had a great day on Tuesday was in on several plays, breaking up passes. Alexander Smith is the most experienced guy back there. And um, he's been a leader for this group, even before spring practices began adding Jason Matry was a really big coup. And Hey, maybe that's going to help Wisconsin get to Barry because they were teammates for four years at Boston college, but He's immediately plugged in as their number one slot corner. He's somebody who started 30 games for Boston College. So that's the type of pickup you need. And obviously, we've talked about the the talent they've got at safety. Sometimes they use three safety looks. We haven't even mentioned Kamoi Latu. And we've talked about Hunter Wohler earlier on because of his versatility and the way they can play him in some linebacker spots. But Travion Blaylock is very interesting. He is as physical as any DB they have. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy? He's battled injuries throughout his career. Last spring, he tore his ACL, which kept him out all season. When he's healthy, it just adds to that top five. And they are still trying to find who they can plug and play, um, especially in that second group. But when we're talking about the top unit, that's the kind of playmakers that they can be on the back end. They can take away some really talented receivers and, and make plays. Yeah, I guess it probably should always be uh, noted that a lot of the plays made by C.J. Williams and um, some of the uh, and Will Paul and before he was moved up to the first team and he still made plays uh, in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the defense, which um, has kind of been a a trend. I would I would say uh, Wisconsin really trying to take advantage of some of the things that Wisconsin's defense does or does not do uh, in controlling the middle of the field, but. A lot of those plays were made against young guys that are still coming up, right? Uh, the Jonas Declonas, the Jace Arnolds, the Avion Jones, guys that have a lot of talent and I think are going to play significant roles at Wisconsin in their careers, but maybe aren't necessarily 
ready to be thrown into the fire. And that's why you're seeing the addition or the attempted addition of some, of, of a guy like Josh DeBerry. So uh, either way, it was, yes, it was a better day for the secondary. Also got some kicking. There's some kicking, Jesse. What uh, I know, I, I know uh, because it was inside, we didn't necessarily have a chance to see exactly kicks went, went well or not. But I do think the breakdown of um, opportunities is notable because last week, all four guys, Vito Calvaruso and um, Nate Van Zelst and Gavin Lom and Nathaniel Vacos, they all got opportunities. That was not the case on Thursday. Yeah. Um, and I also think it's notable in general that we have very rarely seen the kickers involved in the specific portions of spring practice and we got an answer from fickle on why which is, is worth noting he said that he normally doesn't install much scheme with the special teams units during the spring other than the punting unit we've seen an awful lot of that especially early in, in practice and he chooses instead to work on fundamentals and, and give players an opportunity to work on stuff during off-season training and preseason practices so that helps explain why this was only the second time we've seen the kickers <laughs> out in practice but in terms of the who was handling the reps it was notable because Nathaniel Vacos certainly appears to have the inside track on the job. So he was the first kicker up, took an extra point, handled three field goals. He The last one was good from 40 yards on the left hash. And there was one of them I just couldn't see uh, from our vantage point, whether it would have been uh, good or not. Uh, maybe it went right over the right upright. But the fact that he took the first four uh, was notable. And then it was Nate Van Zelst and Gavin Lon. They each kicked twice behind him. And we did not see Vito Calvaruso working at all with the kickers. But what we did see on Tuesday was a little bit of kickoff. And it was Vito, who was the number one kickoff specialist. Um, and that could be his role and makes all the sense in the world if he's not going to be your kicker. We've talked about being intoxicated by his leg strength for <laughs> several months when he is healthy. For two years at Arkansas, he was one of the best kickoff specialists in the country. And in 2021, you could make the case that he was the best or number two at worst. Um, I think 63 of his 74 kickoffs went for touchbacks, just some ridiculous numbers. And so that's a, a really good role for him to have. And Jack Van Dyke, who has been handling kickoffs for the better part of three seasons, is probably going to be your number one punter. So it's kind of been a, a bit of a carousel here. But the pieces are starting to come together, I think. Hunter feels like another situation where they could go into the transfer portal. Um, potentially. Potentially. We don't know what these punts look like because they hit the top of the roof. You have no idea what they look like. Uh, so it's, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's uh, you're not, I don't know if you're going to use a scholarship on a punter. That's the thing, right? So you'd be looking for a guy that's willing to come in without a scholarship, kind of like most of their special teams are. So probably, ah. I just talked myself out of it. Nope, they're not going to the transfer portal for a punter. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. All right. Uh, a couple quick hitters here. Well, maybe not quick hitters, but uh, questions that I have for you as we near the midway point, and maybe this would be better to do after Saturday, but we're going to do it today. Um, your MVP of spring so far. Oh, my. Or just the best. Who's been the best player on the field so far? Wow. Um I'm going to go with Tanner Mordecai, and maybe that's an easy out, but here's part of my thinking. Um, and I don't – people don't necessarily want to look back at this time. They want to look ahead. But let's just be honest. For as much talent as Graham Mertz had, and I, I think 
there's a lot of quarterbacks that came in with the talent over the years and didn't play as much as he did. He was a three-year starter and he helped them win games, even if it didn't take him to the next level. I don't know how many times when you went through a spring practice, the, the times that we had an opportunity to watch where you said uh, the, the team started quarterback, just strung together for great practices. Um, and the point that I'm making is the level of consistency with which Mordecai has operated has really stood out. Um, he's going to be the number one quarterback. He's making plays. And even if it isn't a ton of, you know, deep downfield 60 yard touchdown passes, I think it's the way he leads this team and the throws that he's been able to make. But the most surprising to me is Will Pauling. What are we because... doing here? No, what are we doing? What are we doing? No, that's not the question. No, sorry. Sorry. You just hold on a second. That was going to be my next question. The most surprising player for you in uh spring ball to this point is well it's got to be will pauling simply because okay. right. <laughs> i did not have him in my list of top five or even six receivers coming into spring ball a part of that was because i thought bryson green would be healthy and participating and we haven't seen him but he's really stood out and he has been consistent too I mean, he was he was making plays before they moved him up with the ones and then wisconsin's coaches kind of split some reps with he and skylar bell and now he's just taking all the ones in the slot and they can use him all over the field. And Fickle talked about him after practice on Thursday, too, that they had really high expectations for him last season when he was at Cincinnati. He had a good redshirt year in 2021, played in four games as a true freshman. But then he got hurt. Um, he hurt his MCL and missed four games, hurt it in week two, ended up with 12 catches for 122 yards. But six of those catches came in the first two games before he got hurt. So now he sort of picked up where they thought he would be uh, last season so he's my number one and I would also say sometimes it's easier to find offensive standouts than defensive guys because you see what happens when a catch is completed you don't always see would that safety have knocked that guy out or I mean they, they have right. to hold up a little bit so we're not seeing full-on contact and that makes it a little more challenging to identify some defensive guys um, although we can see players who are flashing yeah I think the pawn one certainly Stands out. I mean, no one expected him to overtake. Well, I shouldn't say that. No, I'm going to go ahead and say it. No one expected him to overtake Skylar Bell. And that that competition is still ongoing. I get that. But he's running with the first team. As I said earlier uh, in a camp, in one of our episodes earlier this spring, we did this draft where it was like, uh, draft your draft the transfers and their potential impact for this season. And Will Pauling was not among the top 10. They had, thir they had 13 transfers and he was not among the top 10. That, that ended up getting taken. Take the quarterbacks out of it, and he still would have been towards the end of it. So what he's done, yes, that has to have been, that has to be the, the big surprise of spring to this point. Um, this is probably going to be a little bit unfair, but do you have a uh, a disappointment to this point? Again, there's there's half a spring left. There's As we're talking, there's still eight practices left. Uh, yeah, mm, yeah, eight pra no, nine practices left. So there's still plenty of time for guys to, uh, step up and, and and make plays. And so I, I, this might be a little unfair and I guess I'll understand if you don't want to answer the question, but is there anybody that uh, you, you were expecting more out of to this point? Well, to me, the disappointment doesn't lie at this point in performance. Cause I don't know how fair that would be. It's more in the sense that disappointment that they can't be healthy enough to participate, um, yeah. which is not their fault. And I, I want to make that clear, but there were guys that I was just interested and eager to see. Somebody like Darian Varner, um, who obviously his injury 
which was sustained in last season. It forced him to miss the last two games when he was at Temple. Much more serious than maybe people were aware of. He's been wearing a boot. He hasn't been able to participate. I was really, really interested to see what he'd be able to do because he was 290 pounds a couple seasons ago, slimmed down to 265, and all of a sudden became a first-team All-American Athletic Conference defensive lineman. And then we we got the roster, and he had bulked up uh, once he started working with Brady Collins and Wisconsin strength and conditioning staff. But he hasn't been able to go. Um, and there's just a number of other guys who haven't been fully healthy. But I don't I don't think anybody's performance has not met expectations. And maybe this is unfair, too. But I we saw one incredible day from C.J. Williams against some reserves. But I, I it makes you think, OK, if he can do that one day, can he string together more of those types of performances? Because in terms of ceiling with the wide receiver group his has got to be as high as anybody's um i just would want to see more of those plays it's fun to watch a dude run a go route and just beat people uh, and not just that but out leap defenders for 50 50 balls and and so there are nine more practices and a lot of guys are going to have opportunities to make more plays for sure um one more thing not on spring recruiting wisconsin landed to commit from uh, Derek jensen the tackle out of heartland arrowhead on uh, on Sunday, I know you had a chance to talk to him. Also had a chance to talk with both his parents. Um, I know that there's been a, uh, a bit of talk about uh, some of what they had to say, and and because the last staff didn't offer him, and this staff thought he was a I don't want to say a priority, but a, a very important piece to this recruiting class. And you know, they, I don't know if there were were there hurt feelings. Do you think between the Jensens and the in the previous staff, and because it it felt like that was the case. Yeah, I think it's challenging to strike a balance in telling a story like this, too, because I'm getting the perspective of the Jensen family and how his recruitment played out. Obviously, he was not a plan A recruit under the previous staff, and and that's okay. That happens all the time, especially in-state guys. Um, they identified guys like Donovan Harbor and later Nathan Roy as offensive linemen from the state that they really needed to have. I thought what was notable and why I framed it the way that I did was especially Derek's mom talked about the communication or lack of communication with the previous staff. And I think that's where they were disappointed. And she talked about it. it his recruitment started at a time where organizationally they were going through some changes. We know last February, February 2022, they officially announced that Mickey Turner had been brought on as the recruiting coordinator, moving over from tight ends coach, and they brought Bob Bostead over to the offensive line. Um, but they went in March, they visited um, campus, and they left. They didn't get an offer. No one really said anything. And as they were going home, they're looking at Twitter, and um, Donovan Harbor and Corey Smith, the two top players in the state, both at Waukesha Catholic Memorial, were tweeting about offers they had. And that happens. But I think it was when they got to May, and this is according to Derek's mom, that they talked to Bob Bosted. He wanted him to come for a camp, uh, like a summer camp in June. And they just, he wanted to know why Wisconsin wasn't a priority and why he was starting to schedule camps elsewhere. And he went to camps at Ohio state and Alabama. And I think at least from the mom's perspective, they were confused because they hadn't heard from him <laughs> in a couple of months. And so they sort of felt like, well, if, if, you know, he's not a priority, you're not communicating like, we're going to go to these other camps. So somewhere along the way, there appears to be some type of breakdown in communication, but at the same time, he was a plan B offensive lineman for the previous staff. Um, so I don't know where, where you, you know, land 
in that conversation. If you're going to keep somebody in the loop, maybe you should keep them in the loop. Or, or when when they leave campus in March, you say, we want you to work on this. And if things progress, we will offer you. So, I, I mean, Derek himself said that he really didn't know what happened with the previous staff. But what he did say was it was a complete 180 with the new staff. Now they run a different system and he's grown a lot. And that's yes. another thing worth mentioning. And you had a chance to talk to Matt Harris, who was his head coach, was also head coach for Will McDonald and Chimray DK. He said maybe the previous staff would have eventually offered him, uh, but it wasn't going great because when you go to every other coach's office and they offer you and the hometown coach doesn't offer you, that that can be tough. He's six foot seven, 330 pounds now. So whatever he yeah. was listed at last year, that ain't him now. Um, <laughs> that's hard. That's really hard to ignore. And so they, they see him as a tackle and potentially a guard. And obviously this staff made him a priority about a, the first week Luke Fickle was going to the area high schools and Heartland Arrowhead is a premier program. So he went out there, but Jack McNell Jr. Within a week was talking to Derek Jensen and they brought him up for a junior day visit in January and they, they offered him a scholarship and he came back twice um, for two consecutive Saturdays to watch spring practice and obviously ended up committing to the Badgers. So that's, that's the story of how Wisconsin got him, but uh, notable that this staff is is pursuing a lot more in-state guys, it seems like, from that class, which it's extremely deep and talented, but to give the other staff the benefit of the doubt, those guys weren't physically where they are now, so you have a lot more to evaluate with them at this stage. It's also interesting that there's another tackle there at Arrowhead that has not been offered. Yes. Um, and, and Garrett Sexton, who just dropped a top four of Oklahoma and Penn State and Iowa and Minnesota. So, and he's going to be announcing his commitment May 1st. And I would assume that he'd be a guy that would love an offense, would love an offer from Wisconsin as well. He's a little bit of a different story because uh, he got a late start in terms of moving to the offensive line uh, in his time. And he's still, still building up his body. He's not six, seven, three thirty, um, but he is a big guy and is probably going to continue to add weight, but it doesn't appear like that offer is going to be coming at this point. We'll see either way, Wisconsin back of the field on Saturday for practice. Number seven of spring will be there and we'll break it down afterwards. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.